are in week three of a brand new series called Jesus Said What? Two of you got that. Dion is our, our scream squad, right? We have to participate. Jesus said, what? All right, very good. Now, hang on, we're gonna do this one more time. We're talking about the seven things that Jesus said that got him in a ton of trouble. And these are seven things that bring life to us. Got him in big trouble, but bring life to us. Here is what Jesus said. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, what? Thank you, Dion. We appreciate you very much, my friend. We're getting the hang of it, getting the hang of it. This was so offensive to people at the time. So offensive. And Jesus didn't just say this one time. He said this time and time and time and time again. He just kept saying it. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And I'll show you one of the times he said it and why it got him in so much trouble. Mark 2, 5. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. A little bit later, the religious leaders pitching a fit. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. The Pharisees are, Jesus said, what? And they're like, he's got to go. He's, he's forgiving sin as though he's got the authority of God. This cannot happen. And he's forgiving sin from, to people who we know are sinners. This cannot stand. We need them condemned. We need them guilty. And yet he's just throwing forgiveness all over the place. This has to stop. It has to stop. Now, the concept of divine forgiveness has been a hot topic for thousands of years. During the time of Jesus, it was a hot topic. People were debating, how does God forgive sin? Who's forgiven and who is not? What are the systems and what do we have to do in order to earn God's forgiveness? How, what kind of life do we have to live in order to be forgiven by God? This has been a hot topic for 2,000 years, then it's a hot topic right now. There are still people debating, how can God forgive sin? Who's forgiven and who's not? Well, they're super sinners, they can't possibly be forgiven. These people have sinned too much. They can't possibly be forgiven. And religious people love judging who can and can't be forgiven and debating how do we receive the forgiveness of God? What's the system? What are the prayers? How sincere do we have to be? It's a hot topic today as it was 2,000 years ago. But of course, Jesus always gets in the middle of the hot topics and he gets himself in the hottest of the hot water because he knows that people are living in this bondage and living in this slavery and he's got to get them free at all cost, at all cost. Last Sunday night, we had uh, what we called Sunday Seminary, just a one-time event, uh, kind of a seminary level content, particularly talking about the doctrine of atonement. Atonement, how are we made right with God? And I'll just kind of put this in plain language for us today. Here's what we came up with. We are 100% good with God now and forever by his grace alone through Christ alone. We are 100% good with God now and forever by his grace alone through Christ alone. That's as simple as it gets. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We're 100% good with God. Well, how can I get 100% good for God? Stop, stop. You're 100% good with God. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. By grace alone through Christ alone. Now, before we can really settle on that idea and receive that idea and take great pleasure at the idea that we are 100% good with God purely by grace, we've got to talk about the ways of thinking that aren't particularly helpful. Two in particular. One I'll call the forgiveness churn. The forgiveness churn. 
Now, a lot of you are in this forgiveness churn, this idea that you sin and then you have to be forgiven again, and you sin and you have to be forgiven again. So what is a churn? A churn is to move vigorously in repeated circular motion. That's what a churn is. Uh, many of you might be expert butter churners, and you know what that's like, right? You churn and churn and churn, doing the same thing in a circle over and over and over again. When you're churning butter, for those of you who do that, you are churning the fat globules to break them open to release entrapped fat molecules, which then coagulate into butter. That is, I, that's disgusting to even say it, but butter's so good, we're gonna keep eating it. But that's what happens, right? You churn and churn and churn. You're doing all this work. I love that picture. <laughs> it's like, where's the husband, by the way? Sitting on the porch. <laughs> Standard. All right, <clears throat> how many of you have churned ice cream, hand-churned ice cream? Anybody? Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> Go to the store, buy ice cream. So hand-churning ice cream, I've done this before. You put, um, what, cream and sugar, help me out, and whatever in the, like a metal bucket. You put ice and salt. Why salt? Anybody, why salt? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, then you just churn and churn and churn, and then it, I guess, you know, freezes, and there is your ice cream. That's churning over and over, doing the same thing, right? Doing the same thing over and over. That is exactly what the forgiveness churn is. And here's how it goes. First of all, you commit some sin, whatever your favorite. You commit some sin, <laughs> anger, words, uh, I don't know, thought, whatever. You commit some sin and you feel guilty. And in all seriousness, I don't wanna laugh about it, but maybe you did something that really hurt somebody, right? In all seriousness. Uh, or you did something that you know you shouldn't do and you're feeling a certain way. Now, you've been taught your whole life that sin separates you from God, so you gotta get right with God. And so here's the term. You gotta confess that sin. You gotta repent of that sin. I'm not gonna do this again. I turn from that sin. You're gonna ask for forgiveness. God, would you please forgive me of my sin and commit to try to do better? And just maybe God will forgive you if you do all that stuff, right? That's the term. And so you might feel, all right, I did what I was supposed to do. I sinned, confessed, repented, asked for forgiveness, committed to do better, and so I feel as though I've done what I need to do to be forgiven. Until the next day, what happens again? You commit some sin, whatever it is. The Bible is very clear that anything that's not perfect righteousness is sin. So that's a long list of things, right? And so no doubt as we go through the day, there are things that we do that aren't quite right. And so based on what we've been taught, we've got to go through that churn, churn, churn. Now, here's the problem with that. There's no way to absolutely know you've confessed every sin and repented of every sin and asked for forgiveness of every sin and decided sincerely to turn from every sin. There's no way to possibly know. In fact, in some faith circles, you actually are required to do that with every single sin. And one of the fears of certain faith circles is if you die with an unconfessed sin, you could be condemned forever, no pressure, right? The weight of that, the burden of that is extreme. That's the forgiveness churn, right? Is that your experience? Was that your upbringing? Have you felt, what if I haven't confessed all my sins? What if I haven't repented appropriately? What if I didn't ask for forgiveness of all the sins? What happens then? You might not be quite confident in your standing with God. That's the forgiveness churn. Then there's the forgiveness balance. The forgiveness balance, and I would say most people probably live with this idea of forgiveness balance. 
Uh, if you were to go uh, in Old Town uh, this afternoon for lunch and you were to randomly ask 100 people, don't do this, by the way, it's rude, randomly ask 100 people, hey, do you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? Yeah, sure. Why? I'm a pretty, what? Good person. That's, most people will answer that way. What are they saying? On balance, I'm a pretty good person. And so I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Most people have that as sort of their, their paradigm, their view of how they're forgiven. The good outweighs the bad. The good outweighs the bad. Now, the problem with that is for some of us who might have done some things really bad, and I mean you've got a regret in your past that you carry with, like a rock on your shoulders. I've done some terrible, terrible things. If you've done some terrible, terrible things, you might never know if you have compensated enough with good things to counterbalance that. And so you're gonna live with that burden. You're gonna live with that guilt. Or even if you haven't done some terrible, terrible thing, you are probably living with some sense of uncertainty. Am I good enough to make it in the end? That's the forgiveness balance. Is that what you're experiencing? Is that what you think? If so, whether you're in the forgiveness churn or in the forgiveness balance, you've gotta be free from that today, like today. No one walks out of here in the churn. No one walks out of here in the balance. Deal? All right. Here's what I want you to understand. That forgiveness is a gift, purely a gift. It's just a gift. Here you go. Cheers. The forgiveness gift. And here's how it goes. God forgives us for no reason. He just wants to. Ephesians 1, it's just his pleasure to forgive us. Nothing to do with us, no effort necessary, no churn necessary, no good works necessary. God just decides you're forgiven, end of discussion. What do you think about that? I don't know, buddy. Doesn't sound quite right. I agree with you. Doesn't sound quite right. Last Sunday night, we had 100 people here going through this theology, and we talked about this in terms of atonement by decree. Atonement by decree. That means God just says it, and that settles it. He just says it, you're forgiven, it is done. Historically, this is called the doctrine of the covenant of grace. So this is a very sophisticated biblical theology called the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace says this. It's the promise of God atoning for the sins of the world by his forgiving grace through Jesus Christ. He made a promise. It's just him. Nothing to do with us. He just makes a promise. And when did God make that promise to forgive us? When did God make that promise to atone for our sins? Before the beginning of time. Before you sinned, before I sinned, before I was born, before the creation of the cosmos itself, God had already made the covenant of grace to forgive and atone for our sin. This is what it says in 2 Timothy 1. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. This is like a favorite rancho passage, the foundation of the gospel. And now he's made this all uh, plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Good news, the gospel. It is good news that God did this before the beginning of time. It was his plan all along. He made that plan. He declared this plan. He decreed this from before the beginning of time that I would atone for the sins of the world. I would forgive the sins of the world. And one day, I'm gonna let the world know 
through Jesus. One day, I'm gonna illuminate that plan through Jesus, which is what we celebrate Sunday after Sunday. Here's the summary. Our loving Father declared every failure atoned for before time began in Christ. And through Christ, he battled sin in this life and he battled sin in his death, the evil of the world, collapsed and collided upon the life of Jesus. He was victorious in his resurrection and through pure selfless sacrificial love is remaking the world into the kingdom of heaven. That's the good news. Purely by God's grace. This is salvation, purely by God's grace. To put it another way, forgiveness is a free gift simply given to us by the grace of God before time began, revealed through Jesus, received by faith. Pretty cool, huh? It's just a gift. There is no forgiveness churn. So when you sin, you're not separated from God. When, you're, when you sin, you don't need to be forgiven. You are already forgiven. Let me put it to you this way. Some people really don't like this, but I never ask for forgiveness from God. I never ask for forgiveness from God because I'm already forgiven. I don't need to ask for something I already have. I am forgiven from before the beginning of time of everything I've ever done in the past, everything I ever will do already pre-forgiven from before time. That's an amazing gift that God just gave. So I don't have to ask for forgiveness. Now, when I do something wrong, which happens every other year-ish, <laughs> When I do something wrong, let's say a word comes out of my mouth that's not quite right. I think that might have happened this week in my own home life. <laughs> word comes out that's not quite right. And I, I feel bad about that. And it is perfectly fine in my prayer life with God to be able to say, you know, God, I really do feel bad about that. And would you help me to kind of, you know, get that right and restore that relationship? And, and I don't really want to do this again. So help me to just follow Jesus and the things I say, right? That's totally good, all good. But I don't have to ask for forgiveness. I've already got it. Um, Galatians says, if we have to keep asking for forgiveness, it is though Jesus never died. If Jesus expressed the forgiveness of God, why do I have to ask for something that Jesus already gave me, right? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for forgiveness. If that's your rhythm in life and you wanna ask for forgiveness, hey, knock yourself out. But it doesn't mean you're any more or less forgiven if you ask for it, because you're just forgiven. It's by God's grace. It's by God's grace. Forgiveness is mine as a gift. Forgiveness is yours as a gift. It always has been and always will be a gift. Just believe it. Just believe it. All right, now I'm gonna prove it in a few examples from the life of Jesus. <clears throat> Let's talk about the paralytic man. Paralytic man. Jesus was becoming very popular around the area of North Palestine, Northern Israel today, and crowds were crushing Jesus. In the streets, crowds were crushing Jesus. In whatever home he was staying in, Crowds were pressing, pressing, pressing upon Jesus. Everybody wanted to hear him. Everybody wanted to see him. Everybody wanted to bring their sick friends and relatives to him because he was healing people. So here's one instance in Mark chapter two. They couldn't bring this paralytic man to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, then lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. These were some good friends. They had a paralytic friend, paralyzed from birth couldn't walk. Crowds were so crushed around Jesus, they couldn't bring his friend to him. So they decided to commit a pretty serious crime, ripped the roof off the guy's house and lowered his buddy in. And they were willing to pay the consequence of that crime because they were so dedicated to his friend seeing Jesus. 
Uh, good thing Jesus was a carpenter, right? We know, because afterwards had some roof repair to do. But here's what Jesus said. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know exactly what the paralytic man was thinking, but let's just assume you were scheduled for surgery at the local hospital. You check into the local hospital. You've got to get some things squared away, right? They prep you for surgery, put you on the bed, and say, your sins are forgiven. It's like, what are you talking about, my sins are? I'm, I need surgery. I need healing in my body, right? And you said, your sins are forgiven. Why did Jesus say that? He said that for two reasons. He had to clear up some misconceptions. During the time, it was a misunderstanding that if you're sick, that was God punishing you for some sin. There's other points in the life of Jesus where people say, hey, why is this person blind? Is it their sin or the sins of their relatives? There is this superstition that things go wrong in our life because somebody committed some sin. Jesus said to the paralytic man, this isn't about your sin. God doesn't punish us for sin like this. So you're forgiven. Just know you're good with God. He just said it. You're good with God. The other misperception that we still have today is that our sin separates us from God, and Jesus made it clear to the paralytic man, your sin does not separate you from God, you're forgiven. So he just wanted to bring some peace to this man's soul. He did heal his body, but he wanted to bring peace to the man's soul, clear up these misunderstandings about God. He said, your sins are forgiven. Did that paralytic man go through the forgiveness churn? Did he confess the sin? Did he repent of his sin? Did he ask for forgiveness? Did he square his life away? No. Did he have time to get the balance of his life right, good and bad? No. Just forgiven, given as a gift. Then there's the sinful woman in Luke chapter seven. I wish that wasn't the title of this section. I'm sure she had a name, but she's just called the sinful woman. Kind of disrespectful, but anyway, here we go. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. These are the religious leaders. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city had heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she starts washing Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume. Now to us, that is just nasty. But culturally, 2,000 years ago, in the ancient Near East, washing a respected person's feet was normal. And the more expensive the perfume, the more the respect. So here's this sinful woman, likely a prostitute. I mean, the wording here pretty clear she was a prostitute. She comes into the home of this religious man who freaks out. I can't have this woman in my home. She's a sinful person. And then this Pharisee basically says, Jesus, you say you're a prophet. If you knew her sin, you would expel her from your presence. When the Pharisee saw who had invited him, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. She's a sinner. Jesus then looks at her and says, I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. So she's shown me much love. I love this. This woman was declared forgiven, likely a prostitute. Did she go through the forgiveness churn? Did she confess her sin, repent of that sin, ask for forgiveness, commit to do better? Did she do any of that? None of it a prostitute before the feet of Jesus. And he just says, you're forgiven. The religious person's hyperventilating. There's a sinner in my house. Jesus, there's a sinner in your presence. Get her away. And Jesus just declares forgiven, forgiven. 
Isn't that beautiful? No churn, no balance, just a gift. Then there's the adulterous woman. We detailed this a few weeks ago, so I won't detail it again. The woman is caught in adultery. Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. You are not condemned. There is no condemnation. You were just caught in the act of sin and there is no condemnation. Did she go through the whole forgiveness cycle? Nope. Did she get a chance to square her life away in the forgiveness balance? Nope. Jesus just says, you're forgiven. It's a gift. The thief on the cross. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Did he go through the forgiveness churn? Did he go through the forgiveness balance? It was just a gift declared over him. That same gift is declared over you. The same gift is declared over you. God is your heavenly father and declared this, this truth over you before the beginning of time that you are forgiven. And for those of you who are carrying this guilt of things that you've done in the past, just know that all these people that I mentioned had burdens of guilt in their past that were massive. And some were burdens of guilt in their present. The adulterous woman just caught in the act. The prostitute, that was her job. And she came to Jesus. And Jesus just says, you're forgiven. The thief on the cross, just being executed for crimes he just committed. And so you talk about guilt and carrying the weight of guilt. The people that Jesus declared forgiveness over are people that carried incredible amounts of guilt. And they thought they had to go through the churn of asking for forgiveness and confession and repentance, and they didn't. They were just forgiven. They thought that maybe they had to balance out their life and do more good than bad so that they could be forgiven, and that's just not the deal. That's not the deal. We're just forgiven, declared before the beginning of time. The question is, do we believe it or not? That's really the only question. Do we believe it or not? If we don't believe we're already forgiven of every sin we have committed and every sin we will forget, then we're gonna live with the uncertainty. Am I good enough? Have I done the right things? Is God really accepting me now? And will he accept me in eternity? We're gonna live with that uncertainty. Let's just believe the gift. Believe the gift that God declared over us before the beginning of time. You are forgiven. You're good with me. We're 100% good. This relationship is unbreakable. It's a free gift I just give. What does Romans 5, 8, and 9 say? Very famous verse, very clear. God demonstrated his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So we've been made right in God's sight. What did Jesus do? Jesus demonstrated the love of God that's always been there. What did Jesus do? By his life, by his death, by his resurrection, he proved love and forgiveness that has always been there from the beginning of time. He demonstrated love. And this kind of squares away the timeline for those of us who might have thought, well, if the death of Jesus actually is the transaction that forgives our sin, that means no one could have been forgiven before the death of Jesus, right? The timeline doesn't work. Or if Jesus died 2,000 years ago, well, what if I commit a sin now? Does he have to kind of re-die or does God kind of apply the death of Jesus going forward? How do the mechanics work? What if there are no mechanics? What if there's no transaction? What if God just said before the beginning of time, I'm gonna forgive him. I'm just gonna forgive him. And at the right time, Jesus will prove it. At the right time, Jesus will demonstrate it. At the right time, Jesus will illuminate my love, illuminate my grace, illuminate my forgiveness. That's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, revealing something that had always been there. 
So what if we actually accepted this message, that I'm forgiven? Everything past, everything future, I'm just in a constant, permanent state of forgiveness. Ephesians chapter one, God declares me his perfect son. He declares me his perfect daughter. He declares me holy and blameless in his sight. That was his good pleasure before the beginning of time. Ephesians chapter one. What if we believed that and received that and enjoyed that? Several things would happen. A confidence would rise, a confidence in our relationship with God, a confidence that there's always Good vibes here. Even in failure, God constantly looks at us as perfect in his sight. He is proud of our journey. Not proud of everything we've done, but he's proud of our journey. If we make a mistake, hey, kids make mistakes, right? That's what the journey is all about. Sometimes we do things well, sometimes we make a misstep, and all along God is guiding us and maturing us and making us more and more like Jesus, his son. That's a confident journey, not one of condemnation and fear, but of love and relationship, confidence that God and I are always good. And then there's a gratitude, a gratitude that rises. The more we know and understand the grace and goodness of God through Jesus Christ, the more grateful we are, the more grateful we are. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that this relationship is good. And then we get to forgive others the way God forgave us. We get to be more forgiving. That's a beautiful thing, right? The forgiveness of God is not just to be received, but is to be given. And that is the wonderful, wonderful result of understanding the forgiveness of God is now I can forgive others. And so forgiveness of God received as a gift is fantastic. Now give that gift away. What does Ephesians 4, 32 say? Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Did you get that? Just as God through Christ forgave you, forgive others. Forgive others. How did God forgive us? He just declared in advance that we would be forgiven. So how can we forgive others? Maybe declare in advance that everyone who will ever offend me is already forgiven. This is a brand new concept, you ready? I'm gonna say it again. Pay attention for those of you who are dozing or ready for lunch. God forgave us by declaring in advance our sin would be covered. That means for us to forgive other people the way God forgives us, it means that we declare now that everybody who will ever offend us is already forgiven. That means we're not gonna have other people go through a forgiveness churn. That's not how God forgives us. So if somebody offends us, we're not gonna go, oh, okay, well, you better say you're sorry. You better be sincere. You better confess that and you better square your life away or I will not forgive you. I'm gonna hold a grudge against you. Forgiving other people the way Jesus forgives us means we just declare in advance everybody who will ever hurt us is already forgiven. Everybody who will ever offend us is already forgiven. This is hard stuff, isn't it? It's kind of cool to talk about being forgiven in that way. That's kind of cool. It's kind of hard to think about forgiving others in that way. That's not so cool. But it's a both, both and. Let's enjoy being forgiven by God, but let's also enjoy forgiving others. And, and here's a few things to think about when it comes to forgiveness it's really not for their benefit. If somebody offended you, forgiving them is not for their benefit. Because I guarantee you, 90% of them could care less <laughs> whether they're forgiven or not. If you've been offended by somebody, you might be all, you know, kind of twisted up about it. I guarantee they're not. They're just not. They're not waiting every day for you to forgive them. But you're feeling it, some of you, every day. 
So forgiveness is really not for their benefit, it's for your benefit. The people you haven't forgiven own you. So think right now of people you haven't forgiven, people that might have, have hurt you, maybe people who should have loved you who didn't, people who might have betrayed you. Think of their names right now. Think of what they did right now. If you're bitter towards them, if you haven't forgiven them, they own you. And again, they don't care. They're, doing, they're off doing something else. But they're in your head rent-free. They're in your soul rent-free. It's chewing you up, right? People you haven't forgiven, they own you. And they're not worth owning you. You've gotta be free from that, right? There can't be freedom without forgiveness. If you're holding bitterness and resentment, anger in your heart towards somebody who have, who's offended you or even hurt you, you're not free. You're in slavery. Forgiveness is for your benefit to free you from that slavery. Now, another thing, very important. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetness. And I know forgetness isn't a word, so relax. We're just having fun. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetness. You can forgive and be smart. You can forgive and be careful. You can forgive and set boundaries. You can forgive and still feel all the normal human feelings of being hurt, of being offended, of, of being betrayed. Feel those feelings. You're a human being. This isn't about saying, oh, shut off those feelings. This isn't say, oh, well, become best friends with somebody who's hurt you. No, that wouldn't be smart. Be careful. Be smart. Set boundaries. Feel human feelings. But forgive. Forgiveness means this. Forgiveness means I'm not gonna dwell on the wrong done to me. I'm not gonna dwell on the wrong done to me. That's what forgiveness is. I'm not gonna seethe. And if I start you know, thinking about the wrong that somebody did to me and it starts to settle in my heart and settle in my mind, I'm gonna resist that and I'm gonna say, God, I, I don't wanna dwell on the wrong done to me. I'm forgiving them. It also means I'm not gonna be bitter. I'm not gonna be bitter. I'm not gonna have this constant negative thought towards these other people. I'm gonna turn that around. And with God's help, the way he forgave me, I'm gonna forgive other people and I'm gonna choose to avoid bitterness. I'm gonna choose to avoid punishing. I'm not gonna punish them. So I'm not gonna get them back for what they've done to me. I'm not gonna gossip. I'm not gonna speak bad about them. I'm not gonna even wish bad upon them. I'm not gonna punish. This is not an eye for an eye thing. That's not how God forgives me. And, and that's not how I'm gonna forgive others. I'm gonna release them from bitterness and release them from punishment. And then I'm gonna be open to restoration if possible and if safe. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Forgiveness doesn't mean you go headlong back into a relationship with somebody who's harmed you at all. Forgiveness means that there might be the openness of the possibility of restoration if it's possible and if it's safe. So if there's somebody out there who is just harming people, harming people, harming people, draw boundaries, keep yourself safe, but you can still release them from bitterness. You can still release them from punishment. You can still choose not to dwell on the wrong that they've done to you. This is forgiveness. That's forgiving the way God forgave you. But if there's a possibility to restore a relationship, if there's a possibility to restore in a safe environment, take the risk and do it. Take the risk and do it. I had a lot of great conversations over there in the pastor's corner with people who are really wrestling through whether or not they attempt to restore a relationship that's broken because of offense. I'm telling you, think about it. Pray about it. Talk to your friends about it. Because so many broken relationships can be healed 
through forgiveness. God led the way through Jesus Christ. He led the way by declaring that we're forgiven and he wants a relationship with us. He could choose to be offended. He could choose to be bitter. He could choose to condemn, but he simply doesn't. We have the same choice. If it's possible, if it's safe, maybe choose the road of forgiveness, maybe choose the road of restoration. That's the cycle of forgiveness that I think brings honor to God. And we can certainly use that in our lives and in our families. We can certainly use that in our culture as we are continually ripping each other apart. Can we kind of slow that down and say, let's believe the best in each other? Let's build a relationship where possible. Let's restore what's broken. Let's follow the example of Jesus. We're gonna close in um, a song and communion. And we're gonna kind of interweave these two together. It's a song called Wouldn't It Be Like You? And I think we've done this song once or twice. Um, it's a song that kind of imagines this conversation with Jesus, where Jesus keeps doing things that are unexpected. Right. It's, it's almost like it, the, the phrasing of the song almost feels like you're talking about a friend, a very close friend. Wouldn't it be like you? Yeah. Just to be this way, to continue to forgive and to come in a way that we wouldn't expect. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And it talks about in the song how just surprising it is to see how humbly he came to this world. We yeah. think that he's going to be writing with the sword in his hand, but he came as a child. That's yeah. just so cool. And that's that's the, the, the theme of the song, right? Is, is I thought God Almighty was going to come with a sword and power and maybe vengeance and getting even, but he came as a little child. And then I thought he was going to kind of, you know, make things right when he actually lost his life serving and loving and forgiving. So this song really is a, a wonderful journey and just feel free to, to sit and be still. If you have your communion cups, um, just think about the bread that represents the body of Christ and the, and the juice that represents the blood of Christ and the love of Christ that he demonstrated to us, selfless and sacrificial love, love that we can receive as a gift and love that we can share. So enjoy this song together. Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. It was just hours before his crucifixion. It was just hours before the sin and the evil and the violence and the greed of the world would collapse upon the body of Jesus and they would put him to death. 
And Jesus shares with his disciples that my body is about to be broken for you. My blood is about to be shed for you. For those of you who have your, your communion cups, you can take the bread. If you don't, you can raise your hand and we will get you one. During the Last Supper, Jesus takes the bread of the Passover meal, which they had shared together for hundreds of years. And Jesus said, this is actually a, a new symbol, symbolizing my body, which is broken for you. That is the demonstration of the forgiveness of God, the demonstration of the love of God, that I would be so committed to sharing love and grace and forgiveness with the world that I will walk right into the teeth of the worst that this world has to offer and I will be crucified. This is my body broken for you in love. Take this and eat this in remembrance of Jesus. Then Jesus took the wine of the Passover meal and he said, this is a new covenant, a new promise of my grace given to you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. Just believe that my love for you is so complete, I would give my life for you so that you would know that you're forgiven. Before the foundation of time, know that you're forgiven by a covenant that I made before the foundation of the earth, that I love you. Take this and drink this in remembrance of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your forgiving grace through Jesus declared in a covenant before the foundation of time that their sins would be forgiven. And that one day at just the right time, Jesus would come and demonstrate that forgiving love, reveal that forgiving love, illuminate that forgiving love. And so we see in Jesus, the fullness of our God, who is our heavenly father, who would give anything to show us love, to show us forgiveness, to show, to show us mercy. So God, we receive that today. We believe that today. Our faith is in Christ alone today. Nothing we can do to earn your love, to earn your forgiveness. We just receive it by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing the final part of this song together?
hope, uh, I hope every single one of you are out of that churn. Every single one of you are out of that balance and just accept the free gift of God through Jesus Christ. And if you want to express that uh, faith in Christ alone, uh, we just prayed that prayer to receive that and embrace that. But you can also do that through baptism. It's a very meaningful, very beautiful symbol. And uh, we have baptisms every first Sunday. So next Sunday at noon in our heated baptismal pool, uh, I'll be out there um, to baptize anybody who wants to uh, express their faith in Christ by understanding it's only by God's grace are we cleansed, forgiven, and raised to a new life next Sunday at noon. And uh, I think we're done. All right. If you want prayer, we'll be over there. If I haven't met you yet, if you're fairly new, I'd love to meet you over there. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much.